This is Pet Life Radio. Let's talk pets. Welcome to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Justine Lee, and I'm a board-certified emergency critical care specialist and toxicologist. Thanks for joining us today. Today, I'm super excited because we're going to be talking with one of my friends and colleagues, Dr. Mike Takiwa. He also goes by Dr. T. He is a radio host himself on the Bronx at 107.7 FM on Your Pet Matters. And he also owns a veterinary clinic, Progressive Veterinary Care in New Jersey. Dr. T, thank you so much for joining us today. Justine, it's great to be here. Thanks for having me on your show. So excited. You know, I love working with you. I've uh, done a couple of interviews on your radio show before. And so I know you're a huge advocate for pet owners and you own a general practice and oftentimes will work with some specialists or emergency clinics in your area. So I know you recently created a video about the importance of working with your emergency vet because emergency care can be expensive. So just wanted to get a little bit of information and your take of what's the best way of, first of all, avoiding an expensive emergency visit and what you can do with working with your veterinarian and the ER vet. Yeah, great, great question, Justine. And I have to put a little shout out to you because I owe a lot of my social media presence to you and your presence and and you were so gracious to come on my show. So I'm always going to be grateful for that. So so thanks so much for having me on your show. But, but with respect to saving some money, so the best thing we can do as pet owners, and many of us veterinarians are pet owners ourselves, is is just to make sure you continue with your general wellness exams with your general practitioner veterinarian. I think that, you know, when we had that recession, a lot of people started backing up on the general wellness and and they ended up being at the emergency clinic a lot more. And so so the whole purpose of general wellness is that we're going to do a thorough physical exam. I think that when we're dealing with senior pets or in general on an annual basis, at least for your for your non-senior pets, uh, pets that are listed as under seven years of age are considered non-senior is, is just doing a wellness exam, doing some wellness blood work screening. And a lot of times that early detection of disease process picks up and you can start dealing with disease processes in the self. So that that's a great way of trying to and adding to preventing a visit to the emergency clinic. Clearly, there are situations like disease processes that get out of hand, like cancer or cardiac disease, and you can never prepare for that emergency visit early in the morning when something does happen to your pet. So, But the goal would be is to help to prevent a visit to emergency would be to, to just continue with your, your general checkups with your veterinarian. I think, I think they're very important. I know you're based out in New Jersey and have a lot of emergency clinics or veterinary specialty clinics in your area. Can you tell me about the relationship between working with your specialist or your ER vet and your family doctor? Yeah, absolutely. And so I'm fortunate that in my neck of the woods, so Jersey is a very densely populated area that where my practices are located, I have at least five referral centers within a 30 to 40 minute drive from my practice. So there's lots of choice. And as a result of that, I've cultivated great relationships with these emergency practices. So so the way it typically works, I think a standard scenario would be that, for example, if your veterinarian picks up a, a lump on your pet and the, the best process with a lump is to 
is to aspirate it, which means taking a needle and taking a little sample of that. And you put that on a slide and some vets are trained to actually look under a microscope at the clinic and can identify some cancerous cells. But typically we send that over to one of our lab resources and a, a board certified pathologist gives us their take on what they see. If a cancer diagnosis comes to play, then a couple options take place. If it's a tumor that is easily resectable under surgery, then a lot of the day practitioners will remove that. There are some skilled day practitioners who will remove lumps that are even more advanced, but typically you need the eyes and hands of a board certified surgeon. So that's usually the first step that happens is your day practitioner diagnoses cancer and then gets on the phone with the referral center and, and talks to two individuals. And the, the first individual they'll talk to is the board certified oncologist. And they'll, they'll run that case by them and refer that case to them. And usually the process then is to get a board certified surgeon to actually do the surgery. And the board certified oncologist gets in there and they start talking about what the future prospects and options are. So that's my typical scenario about dealing with a referral center. A, a, the next thing that I, I usually see is an emergent case. For example, some labs and some Goldens will start to collapse rapidly. And a lot of times when you rush them to your day practitioner, they'll, they'll find that they're in a, what we call a hemoabdomen or a bleeding abdomen um, situation. They'll, they'll take x-rays, they'll run their ultrasound probe and see a lot of fluid in there. And a lot of times that's a, that's a tumor, uh, usually in the spleen that starts to bleed out and that becomes an emergent situation. And a lot of day practitioners are not able or ready to deal with those situations. So they'll do triage and then recommend that that client and that pet go to an emergency center for that. I think those are the two most common things that we do with our relationship to referral centers. There's also other things. There's a lot of eye issues. So again, I think it depends on your day practitioner, but a lot of times I'm calling up the board certified ophthalmologist at these referral centers and referring cataract surgery over, referring tumors of the eye or, or really delicate eye situations. There's a lot of ulcers that are non-healing and as best as your day practitioner can deal with things. I've even done some what we call grid keratotomies where you're you're scraping the cornea to make sure that you get extra growth back. But a lot of cases I end up referring to ophthalmology. More recently in our veterinary profession, behavior. There's a specialty in veterinary medicine. Um, you, you got board certified behaviorists and you get a lot of behavioral issues that your veterinarian can deal with up to a certain point, but then has to pass it on to the, to the people that do this 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And dermatology cases, we see a lot of dermatology cases and a, a lot of times they can get really, really out of hand, in which case then I'll, I'll call up my buddy who's a dermatologist and, and at least get his input, if not refer over to him. So, so that sort of relationship exists. You have a day practitioner that, again, I think it depends on who your day practitioner is and what they're willing and capable of doing. But there's always a certain limit that we as day practitioners reach where we can't go beyond a certain point and we need specialist care. And that's when we start referring out to the referral center. So, so in my video, I talked about the symbiotic relationship. So as your day practitioner, I do wellness visits, I do your spays and neuters, I do some surgeries, I do, I do many cases up to a certain point, and then I refer to my specialty relationships out there, and they take it to the next level, whether it's board-certified internal medicine, whether it's oncology, as I described, they'll then treat your patient, and then it's a relationship between the referral and the day practitioner. So I'm on a first-name basis with a lot of these people, 
mostly due to the close connection we have geographically. And so it's a great relationship that I have. I'll literally call up the people that I know and we talk about the case. And then the case is then managed by both of us. I'll manage a lot of the care afterwards. But if there's a specialty care needed, then again, referral back out. And the clients enjoy this. It's, it's like you at home. When, when you go to your regular human general practitioner, they're going to be able to do a lot of your care up to a certain point. But what's the first thing they do if they find something that, that's a major issue? They're going to refer you out to a specialist. So it's the same way in veterinary medicine. And I think it's wonderful because I think it enables us as veterinarians to provide the best care for your pet. That's my take on things. I think there's a symbiotic relationship. I think it's a great relationship. And what I love is that even if I'm dealing with a difficult case and I call my my specialist friends up, it could still be a situation where they can allow me to continue caring for that pet just with their guidance. So there's a lot of options available to you as a pet parent. Great information. I often wish I could practice in the same area as you, uh, Dr. T. I actually have fantastic referring vets in my area. But I think the biggest takeaway for pet owners to be aware of is we want it to be a symbiotic relationship. And you know, I oftentimes will work with general practitioners or what we call referring veterinarians. And the main reason why is sometimes there's financial limitations where those owners might not be able to do a CT or an MRI. And so we really oftentimes want to consult with general practitioners so we can figure out the best, most cost-effective plan for you and your pet. So great options out there that you just have to be aware of. Now, Dr. T, I know that you recently wrote or created a video on why emergency vet clinics are so expensive compared to general practitioners. And I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of background on why it may be a little bit more expensive to go into the emergency room. Absolutely. I I think where we can start with this is that there's a little bit of misconception out there with the general populace. I think that they have to look at a veterinary hospital in a certain light. So the best example I can give you is, is a, a friend of mine is an owner of a human. He's a great human doctor and he owns a couple practices. But when he came to tour my practice, when it opened, he was blown away by the amount of what we call in the business overhead. At his clinic, he's got exam rooms, he's got exam tables. I think he has a small ECG unit and he's got a thermometer and blood pressure units in his room. And that's it. You know, there's a computer software that he runs the practice. But when you compare that to a veterinary hospital, we are, even as a day practitioner, we are a full service hospital. So by that, I mean, we have everything your human doctor has. And then you have to add on, we have x-ray, we have a full dental suite. So we're like a full dentist. We have blood machines. We have ultrasounds. We have, I even have an emergency cage unit that pumps in oxygen and heat to patients with cardiac disease or emergency situations. We have a full surgery suite and a full pharmacy. So these are things that you have to consider when you look at what we call overhead. And clearly all this equipment doesn't come for free. There's definitely a cost to this. And as a result, there is a bill that you get from your vet hospital that has to contain these overhead costs. And part of what I talked about in the video too was there's what we call a break-even point. And that is, it's funny, I think many businesses deal with this. Because of all these overhead costs, which includes your supplies, the people that you have to pay your team members, and a lot of this equipment, 
a lot of businesses run at what we call a deficit. So there's a specific number that you have to gross per day to actually break even. And I think in the veterinary world, that is much higher than when you look at what a general human practitioner has to deal with. So I think that concept has to be talked about to the general public. And I think your veterinary will be more than happy to go over this with you and, and explain things. And then when we talk about referral, the number one thing we're talking about referral is what differentiates it from a day practice like myself is every team member there is specialty care. So which means that unlike my regular doctor of veterinary medicine degree, the specialists there have gone beyond. They've done their penance, I call it. They've done their internship, their residency, and written their boards to become specialists in all these fields. Unlike you, Justine, you're double boarded, which blows my mind. So there's a, there's a lot of emergency and critical care. There's a lot of oncology, ophthalmology, surgery. All those types of specialties exist in one building. And with those specialties come specialized equipment. As you described, MRI and CT, those units are to purchase those units are what we call in the millions of dollars. And then in addition to that, you have a specialized crew. A lot of the technicians are certified technicians. In Jersey, there's no legal demand for certified technicians, but all these referral centers have certified technicians. And then some of them even go beyond and become specialists in certain fields. So you have a highly trained crew that by all rights and means and expectations, actually are paid better than someone like myself who's I'm not highly trained. So so if I were to go out and, and work in the regular world, I would be paid X amount. If my friend who's a board certified surgeon works, he's clearly going to make more money. So you have that payroll. Your technicians that are highly trained, they've earned that right to get a higher salary than some of the technicians that exist in day practice. And so with that, you've got that higher overhead. You add to that the specialized equipment I mean, there's linear accelerators, there's MRI, CT scans, even the ultrasounds they use. My ultrasound unit I describe as the cost of a typical automobile. The ultrasound unit at a referral center is sometimes the cost of a typical home. So with that, you have that added expense. And so as a result of that, it does cost more money to actually keep these centers open. And they're giant multi-thousand square foot facilities that are open 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So that means the lights are on 24 hours a day. That means there are people there 24 hours a day. So with that, there is a higher cost. So I would expect as a pet parent that if I go to a referral center, that there is going to be an added cost, but it's an added cost because you're getting that specialized care. You're getting that 24 hour care and you're getting access to the best medicine possible. So yes, it's more expensive, but you have to expect that. You know, you bring up some great points. And I think the biggest thing is I don't want pet owners to be scared to go to the animal ER. I think the important thing to realize is, yes, like Dr. T said, it's going to be a little bit more expensive. And it literally is because we have to carry a lot of different things that general practitioners don't have to carry. We have to carry the antidote for antifreeze, which is $1,500 a bottle. And if it expires every two years, you know, that ends up being really expensive. We have to carry blood transfusion products in case case your dog or your cat comes in for a life-threatening trauma or they need emergency surgery. You know, so we carry a lot of different products that family practitioners or general practitioners don't need to carry. And Dr. T summarized it so well, but just be aware, yes, we can definitely work with your veterinarian to help keep costs down, but just be aware it's going to be a little bit more expensive because of that overhead or because of that specialized equipment. And I think a point that should be made, Justine, is that, you know, we're not there to to throw the entire kit and caboodle at you. I think that 
a lot of times you as a pet parent, you'll be presented with what's called an estimate for services. And a lot of times from a day practitioner standpoint, absolutely, there's a lot of leeway that we can work with you, you know, to get the best medical care for what you can afford for your pet. In the same way, in emergency situation, there's definitely going to be things that have to be done and things that they'll talk about, you know, are possibilities. So you'll always be presented with options. And, you know, I think one thing that needs to be stated, and I'm a huge proponent for this, is that Pet insurance will definitely help you. And I always tell clients that pet insurance mostly helps you in an emergent situation or a situation later in life when your pet is really ill and you need to get that specialty service. I think that's where pet insurance is really worth its weight in gold. And, you know, a friend of ours, uh, Justine Garrett, told me that a lot of times when he's in the exam room and he's preparing an estimate for a client about the, the much needed care that this emergency situation needs, that what is brings us a sigh of relief from everybody involved is that there is pet insurance out there. And I think that pet insurance is something that if you don't have for your pet, I would definitely look into getting it. Every veterinarian has a different take on which one their favorite pet insurance is, but I think it's valuable in situations like this. And I really think it pays for itself in situations like this. You bring up a great point. So when it comes to pet insurance, do you mind just giving some of our pet owners out there a little bit of information? Like how much does it typically cost a year? Should you get it as a puppy or when they're older? What should owners be prepared for? Is it a third party? Do parents have to pay the initial upfront fees and get reimbursed later? How does it work? Great question. So the best time to get pet insurance is when you have a young, healthy puppy or kitten because you want to prevent the the situation where you have pre-existing conditions. And so the best time to get it is to talk to your veterinarian at your puppy kitten visit. I think the price is variable. I've seen pet insurance for cats as cheap as $15, $10, $15 a month, depending on what plan you get. I've seen senior pet insurance be 50 to 60 and plus dollars a month for some big dogs. And I think it, it varies on what you want. So that's where your veterinarian and your insurance rep can work with you to get the plan that best suits your needs. Most people actually settle for plans that are what they call the emergent plans, where if there is a life-threatening situation, that's when the insurance will kick in. I think that the best time to get it is when they're young and healthy, there's no pre-existing conditions, you can set your rate based on what you want to get, and your veterinarian will give you the best guidelines for the pet insurance that they deal with. I think that the the big pet insurance names out there have been doing it for pets a lot. You're going to see these names that I, I've seen some issues with some of these other insurance companies that come out there. But having said that, I'm, I think every major insurance company it realizes the benefits of pet insurance and are starting to have insurance out there. So I stick with the ones that have been good to me with respect to their links with veterinary community. So and your veterinary will, again, have their favorites there. Now, with respect to payment, unlike human insurance where you walk in and they go, here's your copay or whatever, the pet insurance works a little differently. You actually pay up front, then you submit your invoices. They will ask for the veterinarian notes and records for that situation, and they will reimburse you. And it's a percentage of what your vet bill is. I think it's up to 80% coverage for many of the emergency situations. So, for example, it could cost thousands of dollars to have your pet in an emergent long-term referral situation. And if 80% of that is covered by pet insurance, that is a big savior. And it prevents, the big thing about pet insurance is it actually prevents the, what we call uh, medical euthanasia. 
it's a situation where because you can't afford to treat your pet, you, one of your options is considering end of life situation. And so pet insurance is the number one thing to prevent that. We'll be right back with Dr. Mike Takiwa right after these messages. DGP is an all-natural formula proven to help aging pets with joint and mobility problems. It goes to work quickly, providing vital nutrients to the joints while reversing the effects of age. Some people see results in as little as seven days. Don't let your dog struggle another day. Call 800-521-0543 or visit dgpforpets.com and enter code ERVET. E-R-V-E-T for 25% off your first order and free shipping. As a veterinarian and a dog owner, I can say it stinks having an itchy dog. My own dog has atopy, the equivalent of hay fever. So I totally understand having an itchy dog. For once, the saying smells like a dog is a good thing. Check out Pets Are Kids 2's all-natural shampoo and anti-itch deodorant spray. It'll have your dog or cat smelling amazing and feeling more comfortable, less itchy, and more cuddly. Go to PetsAreKids2.com and enter code PET15 for 15% off your order. What's really cool about them is that they actually donate a portion of their sales to pets with cancer. Their goal is to help save 100 pets with cancer by 2020. Better yet, snap a picture of the bottle with your pet, email it to them, and you'll even see the picture of the pet that you're helping save from your sale. Check them out at PetsAreKids2.com and enter code PET15 for 15% off. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to ER Vet on Pet Life Radio. Again, super excited to have Dr. Mike Takiwa, who is a radio host on Your Pet Matters on 107.7, and also the owner of the veterinary clinic, Progressive Veterinary Care. And what we've been talking about are good ways of being able to work with your ER vet and your general veterinarian, and also your veterinary specialist, and why it's important to have a symbiotic relationship. Now, Dr. T, I also wanted to talk to you, what do we do if a pet owner has financial limitations in the ER? And that happens to me all the time. You know, unfortunately, as the quality of care improves, and as there's more overhead and more expensive MRIs and CAT scans, the cost of veterinary medicine to the pet owner becomes more expensive. And I totally agree with you. I think insurance is so important. I will say from my own story, I wish I had pet insurance on my dog. My old dog was diagnosed with a brain tumor and I looked at getting pet insurance when he was older. And obviously it's much more expensive as your pet ages because a lot more medical problems pop up as pets get geriatric. And I ended up spending over $13,000, $14,000 on my dog's brain tumor. And, you know, it was something where I'm glad I did it. I ended up getting 13 more months, but that would have been something that would have been covered under pet insurance. So I know pet insurance is a great way to be able to help, especially if you have financial limitations. The second thing I always recommend is consider starting the equivalent of a 529, like a student college plan, but literally make sure it's for your kid, your pet kid that is. So I always recommend to pet owners, try to save two to $3 a day in a savings account that you earmark just for your pet. 
And that way, if you do have an emergency, you always have a backup fund. And that's because having a pet can be expensive. Now, Dr. T, I know that I oftentimes will work with referring veterinarians in my area. If a pet owner can't afford blood work, x-rays, or surgery, and it's an emergency surgery, but it can wait eight to 10 hours, is that something that can be done at your clinic or at a general veterinarian for potentially a little bit less? Yeah, I think absolutely. I think the big thing is the capabilities and willingness of the day practitioner to do things. And so, you know, clearly for the reasons we talked about, the the, the cost of things at day practices tend to be less than what they are at referral centers. Another option I'll throw out there is a lot of day practices actually have boarded specialists, uh, mobile board specialists that come in and they're able to do some things at, you know, decreased pricing, et cetera, versus a referral center. I think that the caution I would throw out there for the pet parents is there's some surgical situations where you really need 24 hour care afterwards. And so you really have to have a heart to heart discussion with your veterinarian about what the pros and cons of that are. I think if you're dealing with financial limitations, and again, this is going to be site specific for the various practices is some practices will accept payment plan options that they create with you and everything's different. There is a great service. It's called Care Credit. And there's another one out there. Is it called Scratch? I think there's another one called Scratch.com or something that that's out there. But these are services that will actually, if you qualify, so your credit has to be okay, so to speak, you can qualify for X amount of money, in which case that payment is made to the veterinary hospital and you as the individual get X amount of months interest free to pay that back. And it depends on what the agreement is with the veterinary hospital about how many months of interest-free payments there are. So a lot of times I use a thing called care credit, where in my particular case, I have it so that it's six months interest-free for the clients. So if something comes up that they need a financial backing, it's just a matter of a phone call or they can do it online and you are, you are qualified right there on the spot. So this usually occurs at the front desk um, with the reception that they usually deal with the situation. And if you qualify, then the payment is made to the vet hospital and you as the, as the pet parent have X amount of months to pay that back. But a lot of day practitioners will work with with payment plans. And especially if you, you've developed that relationship, if you're a very good client, a lot of vets will definitely work with you and, and go from there. Additionally, what I'm seeing at a lot of practices are these funds, these trust funds or whatever are created that are in the name of a beloved pet or they create this fund where if you don't have the financial resources, then they, they'll look into helping you with this fund. And I think that most of the referral centers create these types of funds. So it really creates scenarios that that enable you as the pet parent not to have again have to make that that heart-wrenching decision on how do I care for my pet they're in a situation like this and I don't have the financial resources to do things and I think there's wonderful stories that come out of those types of funds I have a little fund named after my previous dog Sunny I call it the Sunny fund and if someone comes in and so I talk to the team member we all we all agree that this is a person that qualifies for this and will will help with funding for that sort of situation and I, it works out great because moral ethically we're doing the right thing financially we're helping the the client and the client gets the care that their beloved pet needs. You know, you bring up such great points and that's so nice that you do that. I know a lot of organizations are out there. I know we also offer something called Payment Bank, which is an option that will debit out part of the money directly from your checking account or bank account. And again, that's dependent on your degree of credit that you have. So when in doubt, keep a savings account for your pet. When in doubt, talk to your veterinarian about pet insurance. And I'm going to say, be a good pet advocate. There are a lot of things that you can do to help avoid a cost 
monthly visit to the ER vet and that's your pet owner responsibility. So it's things like scooping the kitty litter box every day to help minimize the risk of lower urinary tract problems. It's making sure your pet has, you know, fresh water and is eating a good diet. It's pet proofing appropriately to make sure they don't get into anything poisonous or even get into the garbage. We've talked about it before where certain things can get stuck in the intestines and a lot of this is preventable. So as Dr. T mentioned, work with your veterinarian with preventative care. I can tell you one of the most common emergencies I see is actually parvovirus. And this is like you getting cholera nowadays. It causes severe vomiting and diarrhea. And without treatment, it can be fatal, but it's 99% preventable with vaccines. So again, a lot of this includes pet owner responsibility and you being a good pet advocate. So Dr. Mike, thank you so much for joining us today on ER Vet. Love your tips on how to work with your general veterinarian, your ER vet, and your veterinary specialist. And really appreciate you taking the time to be on the show today. Oh, it, it was my pleasure, Justine. I love talking to you. You're, you're just a wealth of knowledge. You're a great, wonderful person. And, and like I said before, you've helped my career so much, and I, I'm forever grateful. I just wanted to add one thing about the vaccines is, is that I've noticed that a lot of clients think that when their dog gets one or their cat gets one distemper vaccine, that's it. And so you really have to talk to your veterinarian and make sure you get the series of vaccines for, for adequate protection. I think that's that's important, and that's a good preventive uh, way of, of preventing a potential issue coming up in the future. Yes, thank you so much for bringing that up. I totally agree. A lot of people will adopt a dog or a puppy and say, oh, yeah, I got its shot at the breeder. It already came with its shot. One shot doesn't do anything. It only prepares your dog's immune system or your cat's immune system to respond to the second vaccine and the third vaccine and the fourth vaccine. So there is a specific reason why we're doing multiple vaccines within a series. So again, typically your dog or your cat needs one vaccine every three to four weeks until they're about 14 to 16 weeks. So make sure your pet is protected. Again, an easy way of being able to protect your pet and avoid a costly visit to the ER vet. Well, that brings us to the end of today's show. Again, a huge thank you to Dr. Mike Takiwa. Again, check him out at the Bronx 107.7 at Your Pet Matters. And with that, you can also find me on drjustinelee.com, on Facebook at Dr. Justine Lee, or email me any of your pet questions at drjustine at petliferadio.com. With that, we're out of time, and we'd like to thank Dr. Mike Takiwa again and Mark Winter, our producer, for making the show possible. See you at the next episode. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.